0: Hello, I'm Mary Osborne.
1: I'm Kathy Shagrin. And I'm Stacia Matten. And we'd like to welcome you back for a second season of Prairie Tales, where each month we talk about this wonderful community we live in, Monmouth, Illinois. Mary, did you know that the city of Monmouth is the birthplace of Fraternity Kappa Kappa Gamma?
0: Well, yes I did.
2: Well, did you know that their mascot is an owl and the Florida Lee is their symbol?
1: Yes, I was aware. Did you know that the fraternity began as a desire by several local women in Monmouth to develop a women's fraternity for social development, and now has 145 collegiate chapters?
0: How do you know so much about Kappa Kappa Gamma?
1: Well, <laughs> well I, mean, I read it. On movie, I read it. No, on on yeah, <laughs> moving good on.
0: Each month at Prairie Tales, we bring you a little slice of history from Monmouth's past with the help of local historians. Last year, we heard from many of you who listen, and we welcome your ideas for future programs.
2: We also would like to recognize the Buchanan Center for the Arts, which sponsors our program as part of its mission to promote the arts
1: in whatever form it takes in the Monmouth area. So, are we ready to begin? Absolutely! Well, get ready because it's season two of Prairie Tales. Well, welcome to our second official season of Prairie Tales. And we have something a little different for you uh, for this episode and maybe for future episodes. We're actually all together. Uh, Mary, you're here with us. Yes, I am. And Kathy Shagrin, I believe you're also in the recording studio with us. I'm in a recording studio several miles away, yes. Wow, very elite. My name is Stacia Matton, and we are excited to be bringing sort of a special episode, The Prairie Tales, tonight. And I hope you enjoy it. I'm afraid it, it. I'm afraid it all started with me and my love of things that are creepy, but also the fact that I'm the biggest chicken on the planet. So I say I love it, but I'm really terrified of it. And one night after we were recording another episode... I said to my fellow podcasters, Have you guys ever heard about Crybaby Bridge or have you ever been there? And they both looked at me and tilted their heads. And I was like, You guys, seriously, I've got to tell you about this Crybaby Bridge as though I was really brave. And uh, if you're from around here, you've probably heard of Crybaby Bridge. And so we thought we'd talk a little bit about it tonight. So in my research, I found out that there are Crybaby Bridges uh, all over the world. (laughs) So I have to be specific. This one is in Warren County, Illinois. And uh, of course, we're going to claim that it's the original Crybaby Bridge. I would like to tell you that I have been there. <clears throat> but it was during the broad daylight with one of my lady friends after we had breakfast. So not quite the exciting adventure as other people, but still kind of brave though, I think. Uh yeah, I mean, I felt very brave. Um, so for those, we're gonna talk a little bit about what Crybaby Bridge is and find out uh what your thoughts are. Hopefully, we'll hear back from some of you and I'm gonna hear from my fellow podcasters and read you a couple articles about what it is and people's experiences. And even later we're gonna share you, share with you some uh evidence. Can you hear the finger quotes when I said that? The evidence that we have that something's going on there. And uh, (laughs) that's definitely where we're going to head tonight. As we, Oh, yes, we insisted on recording this in the nighttime. That was one of the rules that we had to increase the... uh, So you're probably listening to this over your morning coffee, but uh, we are recording it uh, in the cloak of darkness. So anyway, that's what brought us here today. And we're super excited to, to go down that road that... Abandoned dirt road, if you will, <laughs> to Crybaby Bridge. Hmm. So, first of all, correct me if I'm wrong. Have either of the two of you ever been to Crybaby Bridge? I have not.
2: No, I have not. Uh, I think some of my classmates may have been out there, but um, I have never trekked that way. No.
1: <laughs> well, when I first moved to town, I heard about it um, as being one of the most haunted areas in Warren County. Now, let me start full disclosure. I I don't know where I fall on like whether things are really haunted or not, but I am a huge fan of folklore and stories. And Mary um, is a historian and so she really, you know, brings us all back to reality when we're talking about history. Uh, me, on the other hand, I'll read one thing from a random person on Facebook and I'm off with the story and believing it. So probably where the two of us, Intersect uh, is Kathy, who can, <laughs> can can let us walk both sides of it. So we're going to tell you uh, a little bit about Crybaby Bridge. No doubt, if you're from this area, you have your own story. We're not saying any of this is true. We're just telling you the stories, the tales that other people have told us, which is really what this podcast is all about: keeping those stories alive. The first thing we have for you is just to sort of, if you've never heard of it or don't know anything about it, is an article from that Jeff Rankin wrote about Crybaby Bridge. And we thought maybe Kathy would read that to us and kind of bring us up to date on the, the history of the actual bridge itself. He titled it, Cry Baby Bridge Legend
2: Endures. People love a good ghost story and are seemingly always eager to embrace tales of legendary local hauntings regardless of corroborating evidence. Every year, particularly around Halloween, I receive inquiries about a site near Monmouth that is legendary in local lore for alleged supernatural occurrences. Known as Cry Baby Bridge, it's a small steel bridge spanning Cedar Creek near the stone quarry and the former Olmstead's Mill, four miles northwest of town. Now, legend has it that a school bus full of children once plunged off the bridge, killing everyone aboard. Another story is that a young unwed mother once tossed her unwanted infant son off of the bridge. Needless to say, there is no evidence that either event ever occurred, but the stories are used to support an eerie phenomenon that some locals swear occurs at the bridge. They say that if you drive your car onto the bridge, and you put it in neutral, tiny hands will push it across the bridge even if you are headed uphill. It also claimed that if you put talcum powder on your bumpers, prints of the tiny hands will appear there. Now there are photos that go with the article. There's one taken in 1940 by Monmouth photographer Paul Kobler before the original covered bridge was replaced by the current modern span certainly could give you chills, suggesting a headless horseman might, you know, be ready to emerge from its shadows. But two separate paranormal research teams have debunked any real hauntings. Barb Huser, a local ghost hunter and a member of the Small Town Ghost Team, said in a 2018 interview that her organization had found nothing to support the claims. In 2012, an engineer for Caterpillar who founded the Peoria Paranormal Society brought his team to investigate the bridge. Derek Waldschmidt, who developed a device to measure changes in electromagnetic frequency that he calls the ghost box, said he actually did detect changes in frequency around the bridge, but his team could make no contact with spirits nor their car move without its engine. Interestingly, he did point out that one member of his team, a clairvoyant medium, reported seeing ghost-like visions during the visit, but not involving a school bus. She claimed to have witnessed a much older spirit in the form of a Native American paddling a canoe. Not that tragic events haven't happened in the vicinity, A gristmill and dam, which formerly stood near the bridge, were erected by Silas Olmsted in 1837. Over the ensuing decades, the site became hugely popular picnic area, and it was not uncommon for church groups to bring groups of 100 or more young people there on hay racks or for band concerts, uh, ice cream socials to be staged nearby. Now, Mary, you've probably heard about this. In July 1898, The 15-year-old son of prominent Monmouth attorney James Stewart was diving off of the dam with companions when his foot slipped on the logs, and he slipped, hitting his head on the rocks in the water below. He fractured his skull, and he broke his back, which resulted in paralysis and death two days later. And while not tragic in the same sense, I, that is is have previously written about a scandalous picnic that occurred at Olmstead's Mill in the summer of 1886 involving some of Monmouth's most prominent business leaders. The affair, which involved intoxication and nudity, sparked public outrage, and it was the topic of many local sermons over the weeks that followed. Now, the term Crybaby Bridge did not originate in Monmouth, and a quick check of Wikipedia reveals that there are dozens of so-called bridges across the U.S., all having similar backstories. Moreover, Maryland folklorist Jesse Glass has charged that crybaby bridges are actually, quote, fake lore, hoaxes that are intentionally propagated via the internet. In 1999, he found nearly identical stories of escaped slaves and Black children having been murdered on bridges in Maryland and Ohio. The story seemed to pop up online and no amount of research turned up a historical basis in either state for their having occurred.
1: And that is Jeff's article. So that's a good sort of summary of what, what our cry baby bridge is all about. what do you think of that article, Mary? Well, <laughs> I have
0: to make a few corrections. Sorry, Jeff. Um, I am indeed familiar with a uh, part of the article that deals with James Stewart uh, having that fatal accident. But Jimmy was the son of W.K. Stewart, and not the son of, of James Stewart. James Stewart was a judge in Warren County, was the father of Minnie Stewart Field, one of the founders of Kappa Kappa Gamma. And William K. Stewart was Judge Stewart's son, making James H. Stewart, or Jimmy, Judge Stewart's grandson. So you- also- and he also later
1: went on to star in "It's a Wonderful Life." Uh, yeah, <laughs> what no, yeah. I'm just kidding. This is where fake lore a comes A movie in, which sorry. also
2: features a big bridge. You know, there's a big bridge in that movie.
1: Yes. So just saying. Wow, well, that's it. <laughs> and saying, ghosts. Like, in- <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait well, a evil. minute. I'm seeing a kid. And the lead's name is Mary, right? Oh, yeah. Isn't the life where the you know the girl Mary? Yes. I have a real problem
0: with how they depict her. She doesn't marry Jimmy. Jimmy Stewart's character isn't born and she becomes a librarian and that's her fate. Frank Capra, you could have done better. You could have done better. Just saying okay yeah. so so back to our jimmy or my jimmy um he, yeah, i know a surgeon who was called enter to, to his skull gf shears who was a homeopathic surgeon and later became the president of hanneman medical college in chicago he conducted a post-mortem and found that uh, he did not break his back or fracture his skull he actually fractured the fourth and fifth cervical vertebrae And the pressure from that fracture, it put pressure on his spinal cord. And and that is what caused the paralysis. Mm So you just needed to write the the record there.
1: That's we need you around, Mary, or I would be having Jimmy Stewart from It's a Wonderful Life falling off Crybaby Bridge and passing it off as indeed facts when we all know it's now the phrase that Jeff is calling fake lore.
0: (laughs) But interestingly, pretty tragic, uh, though. Still
2: tragic. Yes. Yeah. Very tragic for that young man and his family. And you can understand maybe
1: how, how lore could develop around an event like that. I think uh, yeah, absolutely. And the one thing I will say is um, that article does talk about these types of stories being, you know, that the internet sort of fuels them. But um, these types of mm-hmm. legends have been around long before the internet. I mean, I think any of us that went to summer camp when we were kids will tell you of the murder that occurred at the camp they went to and the scratching fingernails. Right. You know, it's the same story over and over. And certainly I went to camp long ago before the internet uh, before even cell phones and so that's what these stories are. so that actually kind of brings us to our next our next article it's actually a blog I found when I was doing some research by somebody I didn't know the name of the blog is seeks Ghosts uh, at blogspot.com and I actually wrote to the author of this blog and asked permission if I could use it in our um, podcast and uh, they were very gracious and said yes but they wanted it to be clear that they are not a historian they are a recorder of folklore and they are just trying to get stories sort of down on paper. So somebody does, which I love. I mean, that's literally one of the reasons, uh, you know, this podcast is great to me because it sort of takes those stories that if somebody stops telling them, eventually no one's going to know them. So anyway, Mary, I thought maybe you might want to read just a piece of her little um, article. She has a couple of different takes on it.
0: Since this accident Many people have stated that if their car breaks down as they cross the bridge, or even if they just stop on the bridge, that the ghosts of these children have pushed their cars safely across. One local young lady and her friend, not believing this legend, decided one afternoon to drive to the bridge to see if they could debunk it. This single-lane bridge is located on a rural dirt road off US 67 North. It is at the bottom of a valley. There is a steep incline at both ends of the bridge. This road is so narrow that only one car can pass at a time. After rounding a sharp curve that leads to the Cedar Creek Bridge, these two young investigators stopped their car at the bottom of the hill and got out. They walked across the bridge, noting that it is entirely flat at both ends and in the middle. They got back in their car and put it into neutral. They were surprised when almost immediately their car started to slowly inch its way across the bridge it did not stop until it got to the other side. Perplexed, these two ladies were convinced that there must be an environmental reason for this, so they headed up the opposite hill from where they drove in. They turned their car around and drove back down to test it going the other way. They again stopped their vehicle and put it into neutral at the opposite end of the bridge. They were shocked to see their car instead of rolling backward as they expected it to moved forward and slowly inched its way across the bridge, not stopping until it reached the other side. To this day, their experience on the bridge baffles them. The young people in the town often retell another legend connected to this bridge. They state that a group of teenagers out for a joyride struck a fisherman who stood on the bridge late one afternoon. Evidently, just as this fisherman cast his line over the bridge, he was hit by their car and killed. Local legend states his apparition appears around the area that surrounds the creek.
1: This is really where most people's stories take off. They talk about going to the bridge and they talk about their car moving on the bridge. And then, of course, we always have to add that there's baby handprints because that's even more scary. I will tell you that I did go to Crybaby Bridge with my friend, Broad Daylight. Stone sober, just had a nice <laughs> breakfast at Maple City, as moms do. And um, I mean, other people eat, not just moms, you know what I'm saying. And we went to the bridge. It is generally creepy over there. It just is. I mean, it's just creepy Maybe it gets in your head, right?
0: Well, yeah, I have to say, looking at the photos from Jeff's article, I think the covered bridge is more ominous than the structure that is there now. True. But
1: when you're there, it's very, very quiet. And I can't imagine being there at night when it's pitch dark, but we did go to the middle of the bridge. We did put the car in neutral and my heart was beating kind of fast, but you know, it was daytime. Our car rolled backwards at... Ah. An alarming rate of speed. Not like, oh my god, we waited and it like did it move? Did it move? We were a hundred feet from the bridge before our car came to a stop. Putting no, you know, hands on, like leaving it in neutral. There's a lot of people that talk about, you know, oh, that's just you know gravity or an incline, but this. Blog kind of was fascinating to me because uh, people say they've gone both ways. Anyway, it was enough to make me get the heck out of Dodge. And um, it's so uh, when we decided to do this story, I said, you know, I'm going to ask on social media if anybody has any stories they want to share, kind of like mine where my car got pushed or whatever. And so some of the stories came in. I thought we'd share. These are all local people sharing some of their personal stories. And so one of the first people that wrote in, much like I did, shared a personal account. This is, because a lot of times, you know, it's a friend of a friend of a friend. So this is somebody else's personal accounts. I'm going to have one of you guys read that one. So
2: my only experience was when I was with two of the bravest chicks I know. I am a big chicken, so I stayed in the car, dumb, in scary movies. It's always the driver found dead behind the wheel. Anyway, (laughs) one friend walked to one end of the bridge while my other friend walked to the other end. All I know is that they both came running to the car, opened the door screaming, go, 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 as they hopped in. I threw gravel getting up that hill, but I wasn't going back the way they ran from. Once they calmed down, they both described it as if there was, it seemed like a semi driving over the bridge. The entire thing rumbled from one end to the next. Maybe some debris in the water hit the bridge. I don't know, but it scared them and I was terrified. LOL.
1: (laughs) That sounds a lot like my experience, except for I was the chicken that stayed in the car. Other (laughs) other people on Facebook uh, talked about where they have tricked other people and sort of played upon their fears of the bridge. So Mary, I'll have you read that one.
0: I took my nieces out there on
1: Halloween when they were teenagers.
0: Prior to picking them up, I lotioned up my hands and left invisible handprints on the back bumper. We got there, turned off the lights, put it in neutral, and sure enough, we rolled forward. Everybody's freaking out. Then we got out to examine the back bumper. The dust kicked up by driving on the gravel roads to get there, made the handprints pop out, and the freaking out really started. Good times.
1: (laughs) There's a lot of naysayers out there that say that the reason handprints appear at all is just the natural oil on your hand. People tend to touch their bumper, touch their hood with their own hands. You can't see the handprint because it, the oils in your hand are see-through, but that dirty, dusty road will make the outline of a handprint appear. And this person took it next level and lotioned it up, which kind of awesome really when you think about it. Kathy's going to share another story where somebody, now this is more of a friend of a friend. But still somebody that a friend of the, the podcast that we know that reports this is their experience. Yeah, I'd be glad to read it. And then I want to know if you had
2: handprints on your car, because you haven't said whether you had handprints on your car. And I'm we just did, curious.
1: No, we didn't. We were driving. What do you think? What do you think two moms were driving? We were driving, of course. A white minivan that was already (laughs) dusty and filthy and if there were handprints they blended in with all the other handprints so no we we didn't i i can't lie we did not have dusty handprints okay all right well
2: here's the next second hand tale a few weeks back when i worked at beck's gas station around halloween a car with four people came in asking where cry baby bridge was and i told them they bought baby powder and said that they were going to put it on the bumper Right before they got to the bridge, they came back to Beck's after they left from being out at the bridge, got out of their car so they could look at the bumper, and you could see ooh, baby fingerprints <laughs> on the bumper.
1: It's worse <laughs> In than the their baby, baby powder. Yeah.
2: I know because I saw them also. The story I always heard, and now this is the writer, the story I always heard was that there was an accident on the bridge and a baby drowned in the water under it. And after that, they thought someone's vehicle was stranded and they would push the vehicle off the bridge to safety.
1: That's a classic tale, right? That's and a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. And Bex is a gas station here in town. And you you got to wonder, does Bex just stock up on the baby powder around Halloween? Like, oh, here they come. <laughs> yeah. So something that got mentioned a lot in my research was Buford's barn, which is another barn that used to be by the bridge. I think it's going to be the subject of another podcast. I read a lot about the old Buford's barn. So here's Mm. what somebody said in one of our posts.
0: Legend has it that old Buford hung himself in the barn and sometimes you could still see him hanging if the moon shined through the loft just right.
1: So a lot of people talk about Buford's Barn and that it scared them as much as Crybaby Bridge. That's definitely an interesting, maybe if you know something about Buford's Barn, you can write to us here at the podcast, prairytalespodcast at gmail.com, because that could be the subject. Maybe next Halloween we'll we'll visit uh, good old Buford. I got to tell you this next story that I'm going to read to you, probably the most intriguing. And I have to tell you, when it first came to me, I my, there was a red flag on it because I, I talked to one of my friends who's a lifer, who's lived in Warren County for 40 plus years. And she told me, nope, this isn't true. This, this has been proven to be a hoax. And so with that in mind, I'll tell you this story and why I believe it, it's not a hoax. So I was contacted by somebody uh, when I was doing research on Crybaby Bridge. And I said, you know, if somebody who has any stories, they can tell me. And I get a phone call Uh, one day from someone that I work with. We work in a big operation and they work in a completely different office. So we don't know each other very well, but they'd seen my post and they said, I want to tell you a story, but I need to make sure that it's under complete anonymity. I don't want anyone to know the story's connected to me. Of course, the minute they said it was, I mean, I was in, I'm like, tell me everything, right? They sent me a photograph that they, I'm going to tell you about it, that, and we're going to put it on our social media, that they is honestly one of the most compelling photographs I've ever seen of something supernatural. And so this is where my other friend came in who said, listen, that picture has been proven to be a hoax. And that's actually kind of true. The person that called me said they they initially submitted this photo to a radio station for a contest about scary pictures. And they posted it, the radio station, on their social media. And several people stole the picture and said it was their own. And so many people were desperate to find out if it was real or a hoax that uh, this person was getting harassed, the person that really took the picture, and took it down and said, I swear it's my picture and I can tell you the entire backstory of how that picture came to be. And I said, put it in writing. And then I want to have permission to read it. And they said, yes. So here's their story in their own words. And then you can be the judge of what you think of it when you look at the picture on our social media. We're going to have to put some sort of watermark over it. We don't want anybody else stealing this picture and claiming it as their own. So here is their firsthand account. So it was mid-afternoon on Monday, August 25th, 2014. Okay, already, that's pretty specific. I'm just saying. (laughs) <laughs> we were just coming back with my boys age 12 and six from the burial of my husband's grandmother in Little York. When I was trying to make something, oh, oh, they were driving back. I said, I was trying to make something a little more fun because they just experienced something sad. So I said, well, let's go drive over Crybaby bridge. Both of my kids love scary haunted things, but I didn't think They were really old enough to go out there in the dark. So I would just take them out there on a Monday afternoon. I mean, how scary could that be? My 12-year-old had, now mind you, this is 2014. My 12-year-old had my old Nokia flip phone that had no service to it, but he always pretended was his cell phone. My kids did the exact same thing. The thing could take pictures, but it had no cell service. So as we were driving up and sitting on the bridge, he pulled it out and just started snapping pictures all over the trees, the bridge, just generally snapping pictures. He was sitting in the back of my SUV with the window rolled down. We didn't see anything with the naked eye and we continued to drive over the bridge and kept taking pictures the whole time. A few hours later, As we were having family dinner in Monmouth, he starts going through the pictures and says, mom, I found something creepy. And he showed us the picture. And we all about our pants. So since this was an old phone with no service, we had to take the phone to US Cellular to move the picture from the old cell to a current one with service because we didn't want to lose the picture. We had a paranormal investigating team from Burlington then study the picture to see if we had photoshopped it or altered the picture to get this result. And they came back as saying that the picture was not altered in any way and was original. We tried to go back out to see if we could recreate it, make sure it wasn't a bug on the windshield. Nothing we could do could recreate this picture. So I guess, yes, we captured a ghost. Looks like it's walking towards the quarry with a lunch pail. This photo was leaked out along with some personal information, probably by the paranormal team. And we had people showing up at our house, harassing us, calling us phonies, just wanting to talk to my 12-year-old to hear his version of the story. So that's just not cool in this day and age, especially harassing a 12-year-old and you're an adult. So we don't circulate this picture or our names any longer because of the negativity we got from it. But I've given Stacia special permission to use the picture, but not our names. But what a cool picture and a cool story to tell our grandkids and they tell their kids. So that's the end of her account. I had seen this picture then on social media in my research and everyone was like saying, no, that's a hoax, that's a hoax. So that's when I called her up and I said, hey, what's going on? Why am I seeing this? And she said, that was from the radio station, which was the first place they sent it to. And so we'll put this picture on our social media. You can judge for yourself. Basically what it looks like is it looks like taken, I would say, you guys tell me what you think. Like somebody from the back seat was taking a picture between the two front seats. You can see Mm -hmm. quite a lot of the inside of the car and you can see the bridge and you can see a very, distinct outline of a person walking on the bridge. And that person is transparent in the picture. What do you guys think of this picture? I'm curious to know your takes.
0: Well, I think it's interesting that it's not, it's the figure looks too tall to be a child, Mm -hmm. like those mentioned in the other accounts. And so, I mean, I, at first I was like, it's Jimmy (laughs) because he, because as a 15 year old you know he would have been close to his adult height then but um and it does look like the figure is carrying something so i i think as i remember the account of what happened to him you know he was with a bunch of his friends i mean they could have all taken their lunch pails out there or something it does look like the the figure is carrying something
1: or a tackle box mm-hmm. yeah we it could, yeah maybe it's the
0: fisherman <laughs> maybe maybe what do you think of the picture gabby Well, I have to admit, it's a
2: bit disconcerting in a way. I I don't necessarily believe in ghosts or paranormal activity, but I think it's interesting that what they saw, you know, they felt that they need to have it checked out by someone who specializes in paranormal activity because it looks exceptionally real. That's the thing I can't get over is that it looks really, you know, it it looks like almost like an x-ray I mean, not a scary bone picture of an x-ray, but it looks something like a scan. I mean, you can make out a head, a torso, legs. There's some white spaces in there that would make it look like a ghost. And it does look like he's carrying, or I say he, I don't know. That It does look like there's something in the person's left hand. And it looks like the left foot is moving forward and it's exceptionally interesting it's just interesting to look at if the story is true and if that's how they got the picture and uh, if there was no tampering then yeah I don't quite know what to think of it because it does look really really authentic
1: personally I don't I don't buy into that but the picture is very interesting typically when people have pictures of something supernatural a lot of times I feel like you you your eyes can see things, you know, like in a tree or whatever, you know, the shadows and light you're, you're predisposed to find faces. Right. So like, but what is interesting to me about this picture is it stands alone. The shadowy picture is alone in a white lane where there's nothing Mm -hmm. there to make your mind's eyes sort of create a human form. It's literally just standing there Mm -hmm. and the storytellers account has such specifics. And what really gives it truth to me is if you, you know, you study things about memory that we tend to remember things when they're connected to a traumatic event. Like I don't remember what I was doing last Tuesday, but if last Tuesday, one of my pets got hit by a car, I would remember every detail of that day. Cause it sort of seals that memory. And so it's interesting to me that the person has a very clear memory of, you know, how they ended up on the bridge in the middle of a Monday afternoon. And I also find it really interesting that it was an old flip phone that was already yeah. outdated in 2014 because it wouldn't have those Photoshop type technologies, right? You could right. even right. send a text. Anyway, Mary, why don't you, I'm sh- I know you're probably dying to see what it looks like, and we did have permission to share it. So Mary, why don't you tell our listeners how they can look? We'd love to hear their thoughts on the picture. So we will be posting the photo
0: to our, or I should say to the Buchanan Center's social media platforms on Instagram at Buchanan Center, and you can find us on Facebook at at
1: Monmouth. So make sure you make a comment on that picture. We're curious to see what you think about it. Please don't uh, try to claim it as your own. We have to, we have to protect our anonymous listener, which is exciting. Thank you, by the way, if you're listening today for sharing that story and sharing that picture, it's always fun to hear about a local legend. So Halloween it's the season, um, this kind of spooky time of year, but If you're thinking about making a trek to Crybaby Bridge this year and picking up baby powder at Beck's, you might have to rethink your plans. Kathy, sadly, sent us an article um, that I'd like her to share with us that just came out after we had already actually planned to do this podcast. That was really interesting. We
2: had started talking about, I think all of us kind of have a bent towards, interesting, unusual stories. And we had just started talking about Cry Baby Bridge. And we, we knew we were going into season two. And we wanted to do something a little different. Instead of just one of us reading an article, we wanted to have a discussion. And I think it was the very next day, I was uptown in Monmouth. And I picked up a community news brief, which is a, a nice little publication that comes out several times a week. And there on the front page was this article entitled Crybaby Bridge is reportedly closed permanently due to safety concerns of the bridge's structure. And at the beginning of the article, I think they repeat some of Jeff's information. But then they go on to say, um, and this is their article, sadly, the bridge is reportedly closed permanently due to safety concerns of the structure. For now, boulders have been put up to block the road to the bridge. Permanent gates are to follow. So, you know, we went from covered bridge, a wooden covered bridge to a more modern steel structure. And now there are boulders and at some point there will be gates. So it won't be possible, although I suppose it would be possible for some ingenious young person to get on the bridge again, but we won't be able to drive over it again, which is kind of sad for this local place full of folklore
1: well, all the more important that we're recording this story for history so that generations to come will know what we were scared of back in 2021. I hope, I I guess we should encourage our listeners to not climb over those boulders. They're obviously there for a reason. Make good choices. Yeah, make good choices, kids. That is really the story of Crybaby Bridge. We started from the very beginning, before the current, when it was a covered bridge, and we're ending where it's blocked off and stay away from here, you whippersnappers. I'd be curious with my podcasters and ask if you think there's any truth to any of the urban legend. But more importantly, even if you don't think there's any truth to it, would you go there alone?
2: <laughs> well, I'm. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I I guess I'll just say I, I don't believe that there's anything going on out there, but at the same time, I don't think I would go there alone. I think we can work ourselves. When I was a kid in high school, you know, we used to do seances and it was like, if we had a sleepover at someone else's house, you know, it was really, really popular to hold seances and you could talk yourself into believing that you were doing these things or seeing these things or hearing these things. A lot of times it was hearing. I think it's really easy to, to kind of fall into that. But on the same hand, then I, I don't think I'd want to venture out there because I, um, I'm kind of a big old scaredy cat. and No, I don't think I would go. What about you, Mary?
0: I'd have to agree with Kathy. I think I I believe that other people believe that yeah. paranormal unexplained things have happened. And certainly we know that some tragic things did happen. And so I think that that those give birth to other stories and create an atmosphere in which people can convince themselves of of anything. But at the same time, I don't think I would want to go there out there by myself.
1: Right. Yeah, I hear ya. I think a lot of the history behind the bridge is probably urban legend. I don't think a school bus of children went careening off that bridge. I think there'd be an actual news article, and we've seen news articles and photographs of events like that. And so I know that we you know we did actually have newsmen back in the day. So I think I don't. I think those things are probably urban legends. I do think a lot's gone down on that bridge. I think um, I wouldn't go there at night. I wouldn't go anywhere at night because I'm a total. Complete chicken. So, I you heard it here first. I'm a big baby. I am the crybaby of Crybaby Bridge. That would be me. Um, but we'd love to hear your stories about Crybaby Bridge or Buford's Barn or actually any other local prairie tale or a scary tale that you might have. So respond to our photo on social media, or you can send us emails um, at prairie tales, at gmail.com. We can keep your story confidential or anonymous rather. We'd love to hear from you. Um, keeping these stories alive is what we're here for. I hope you took all of this in good fun today. Um, we love talking about crybaby bridge. And I'm just going to pretend that If those boulders weren't up, we'd be reporting there live today for you, even though that isn't true at all. Uh, I wouldn't be there. I wouldn't be caught dead there. Um, No pun intended. Um, So thanks for joining us for episode one of our second season. My name is Stacia Matten, and I'm here with Mary Osborne
2: and Kathy Shagrin.
1: And thank you for listening to Prairie
2: Tales. And that, friends, is where this tale ends.
0: Prairie Tales is a production of the Buchanan Center for the Arts in Monmouth, Illinois. Special thanks to Jeff Rankin for providing the content of this episode. If you enjoyed our podcast, look for more content on Instagram at Buchanan Center and on Facebook at BCA Monmouth. Email us with questions and suggestions for future episodes at prairietalespodcast at gmail.com.
1: Remember, not all history is found in a book sometimes it's found in the stories we tell just listen to the sound of the prairie and you too might hear a tale